Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys this morning. And uh, I think there's probably no uh, better song for us in worship on than the song we guys uh, sang tonight as we think about really what the church is called to proclaim and what the church is called to do as we step into the world. And so really, this Sunday morning is kind of the key uh, kickoff morning for us as a church uh, this week as we talk about the topic of missions. And we'll have different events all throughout the week. So hopefully you guys got a schedule of all the things that are coming y'all's way. But this morning really kicks it off between what's going on here in college class and what's going on in the main service. And so we're glad you guys are here with us. I'll I'll tell you guys, uh, as the semester uh, got kicked off and scheduled. I really kind of circled this morning thinking really particularly excited for you guys this morning as you guys are going to have an opportunity this morning to hear from uh, a guy that I look up to, a guy that I respect, and to a guy that really for me is in many ways the kind of guy I'd love to be 10 years down the road. And I hope you guys have people in your life that really you go, hey, this is who I'd love to be. This is where I'd love to be heading. And, and I'll tell you guys, uh, the speaker you guys are going to get to hear this morning, Chris McGuffey and his wife, Amy J, and their kids. I'll tell you guys for Marcy and I, they are very much uh, as servants of the gospel and as a family, all that we really hope would reflect us and be true of us as we move down the road. And so you guys are going to have an incredible opportunity to hear from Chris and uh, McGuffey. Uh, the McGuffeys have spent a, a good portion of their time uh, in East Asia, really were one of the spots that we partner as a church. They were there when the ground was incredibly difficult and incredibly hard and saw the Lord really step into that culture and that place and begin to really open that up to become really one of the most receptive places of the gospel over the last 10 years and seeing the Lord do some amazing things there. And as they, as they then transitioned from there, they took off... Uh, to Greece, where we also have partnered, and where we uh, spend and send students every summer. And uh, their time in Greece, they've now transitioned back here in the States. And really, for a great majority of the time that I was a student, that I've been back on staff, I've seen these, this family serving the Lord overseas and now in a different phase of their lives. And so you guys have a great opportunity to hear from some people who have been there, who have been serving the Lord in different contexts, different settings, and to hear, really, and to glean from them as to all that the Lord has taught them. So why don't you guys give Chris uh, a hand as he comes up. Thanks, Trey. I appreciate that. Um, It's probably true that only about half of what people say uh, in an introduction is true. Um, We did live overseas. Thank you, Trey. Um, Some of the rest of it's probably still up for uh, a decision. You know, I was just sitting here this morning realizing that, you know, we moved back to College Station about a year ago, almost uh, almost to the day. Last week, I think we celebrated our our year anniversary back in College Station. And And I realized that I've moved to College Station twice in my life for spiritual purposes, okay? Now, some of you guys, y'all, uh, y'all looked at all kinds of different things when you're choosing to come to A&M uh, for your education, and, uh, and it's probably good that you looked at, you know, like rankings or the, you know, the course catalog or, you know, some of your professors or the departments or the interests that are there. Some of you maybe even chose uh, this university because of football. Um, you know, last night was a great night for all of us. But to be honest, I chose this university. I, I transferred here after a couple of years of being another place. And, uh, but I chose to come here so many years ago because I wanted not only to grow spiritually myself, but I wanted to have an impact in the world. Now, I know that sounds kind of funny for you, but it's kind of culminating because uh, maybe some of you guys went and saw the Magdalena uh, viewing that was uh, a couple of nights ago. And one of the guys that was up talking about that was a guy who discipled me here at Texas A&M. And so it's just been kind of this uh, remembering a little bit about my spiritual heritage. And, uh, and so it was fun that, that I came here because I wanted to grow in Christ, be involved at a place that I, I felt like at the time could have a significant impact among the nations. So fast forward another 20 years, and my wife and I, and our family, we're thinking as we're transitioning home from Greece after being overseas for a number of years, 
Where could we go? Where could we go that we feel like we could have a significant impact still among the nations? And there was no place that could top what we felt like God could do at this university. God has placed his hand these days in this place. And there's so many people like yourselves that are wanting to follow after the Lord amidst sometimes many other priorities. And if we choose to follow him and chase after him first, there's no telling. There's no telling what God will do. Just a couple nights from now in Kyle Field, be another great celebration, but one that will have not just temporal effect in terms of a football game, but possibly an eternal impact as people gather around to hear what it is that God is doing among the nations. And students just like you, and just like me and my wife as we were here at the time, and we will make choices about how we will walk with Jesus for a lifetime. And it affects people's eternities. And what a privilege it is. I'm so glad that I've been able to choose this place twice to come and have an impact. Now, some of you guys maybe wandered in the room, and it's like, oh, it's, it's Missions Week. And uh, maybe you don't know what that means. If you're a freshman, you've never been around for that, or you, know, you just kind of stumble into church on occasion, or some of you come back week to week, and you know all the announcements that get made, maybe you don't pay attention to what week it, it actually is. Uh, but you know, we, can, we can often stumble into life's situations and realize very quickly that we're in over our head. And I don't know if you've ever done that or not. It's like you, you look around, it's like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? Why did I say yes? And how am I ever going to get out of this circumstance? And growing up, I had a friend. His name was Kelvin. And Kelvin would call me every once in a while. I, I don't know why I didn't figure this out. But he would say, uh, hey, uh, Guff, would you just come over to my house? We've got some things to do around my house. And I was a good friend. I'd say, sure. But then somewhere in the process, I would realize I lived in a nice little suburban neighborhood, you know, on one third of an acre, you know, so what stuff around my house took about 10 minutes. But Kelvin lived on three acres and he always had all kinds of stuff going on in his house. So it's like, I would just show up thinking, you know, great, we'll, you know, work for an hour or two and whatever. And it's like, hey, what are we going to do? He goes, we need to scrape the barn and repaint it. You know, it's like a four day project crammed into, you know, one very long day. You know, it's all kinds of things. But I remember very, uh, very clearly the things. He would never tell me when it needed to be done, but he would say, hey, why don't you come over and help me out? And uh, I've got some things that I need to do. And, and the scariest thing that ever happened over at the Dupree household was when the, uh, the tennis court lights went out. Now, don't think in your mind that this was some palatial house. You know, it's like, ooh, tennis courts, whatever. I mean, it was a concrete slab with a little bit of paint and a net going across it. And uh, when the lights would go out, see, his, his whole family was afraid of heights. And so they would call me over and say, we need you to change the lights. And so I would begin to shimmy up this pole. No lie, it was probably this big around. Okay, and I'm not a, not a I was thinner than I am now, but I was, I was of no great stature at the time. And uh, so it was about a four-inch pipe, and I would have to go up about 30 feet. Okay, now you guys maybe in construction science or, you know, mechanical engineering, you get where I'm going. It's like, I felt like I was on the mast of a ship going back and forth about three feet back and forth. And it's all this stuff. It's just like all because of this relationship that I have with Kelvin. And so many times I was over at his house and I'm just in totally over my head, swinging back on the top of a pole, wondering how am I going to get out of this alive? For some of you guys, you know, as you think about coming to church, church kind of gets built 
build as kind of a, a safe place. It's like, oh, come in. You're going to feel good. Everything's okay. You get some donuts in the back. Get that sugar low. You know, you kind of mellow out. But church can be a very dangerous place. It can be a dangerous place because especially in weeks like this, we're going to talk about things that are going to interrupt your thinking about your own life. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, that's, you know, it's no problem. Maybe I can just, uh, I, I can just kind of cruise by that and ignore it. If I can just make it through this one week, then I don't really have to think any differently than I'm thinking right now. But for many of you, if you listen, if you listen to what's going on just this week, God wants to speak to you of ridiculous plans. He wants you to shimmy up 30 feet on a skinny pole and to go back and forth so that you can trust in him and make an impact for the nations. There's a danger really to getting involved, not in just the building of church, but in the idea of church and the idea of the Great Commission. Because what happens is that if you do what we hope you will do this week, you will be kind of bombarded by information. And if you just let that information kind of drift away, then you can maybe make it through without your life changing. But the dangerous aspect of it is, is that if it gets to the level of concern, then you're very close to the idea of responsibility. What once is just external information, all of a sudden comes to a place where it begins to affect our lives. And then we find that we are way out of our comfort zone. We are way out of that safe place that we sometimes construct. And that God's voice begins to speak to us very loud about what he hopes to accomplish in eternity. We begin to see our skills. We begin to see the things that God has given us, the blessings not just to say, oh, wow, this is, this is a great thing for me. But as that light shines on us, we begin to realize that he's given us these things as a stewardship. That the education that we have, that the language that we speak, that the teaching and training that we've so enjoyed being able to sit under, that we find out that God has given us that for specific purposes. It's when our life plan collides under the scrutiny of the Great Commission. And we have to wrestle with God to ask him, what does that mean? This happened to me a number of times as I was a student. I was thinking uh, so far back and, uh, to the times that I was students and, and just the times where I wandered into a place where I thought I was safe. And one time, uh, I'm on staff with, uh, with crew, it used to be called Campus Crusade, and, uh, and I, wa- I wandered, in for the, wandered in for the first time to this thing called the Winter Conference. And back then, it was kind of rearranged a little bit different. It was about uh, 1,500 people that were there. And uh, a friend of mine who was visiting from high school, you know, she went off to college, and she invited me to go, and I thought, okay, I better go. And to be honest, I thought that I was kind of going to what I, I kind of refer to as NerdFest 97, <laughs> you know, or 87, sorry, NerdFest 87. And, uh, and so I just thought, I'm going to wander into this thing, and it's, you know, going to be this kind of a kumbaya experience. And you know, it's like, what in the world? And I, I just want to endure, maybe meet some friends or whatever. And as I opened up the doors and I saw 1,500 college students that were pursuing the Lord and asking him, what in the world do you want me to do? And I want to give my whole life to you. My whole life was blown away. And really for the first time, I think that, that my heart was just cracked open to receive what it was 
that God wanted to tell me. I transferred here to A&M, like I said, looking for opportunities to serve the Lord. And I was sitting in a Bible study uh, with a good friend of mine, and, uh, and, and, and he began to talk about his summer experience. How in that summer of 1987, uh, that he went to the former Soviet Union, uh, back when it was closed, and to talk about all the different things that God had done. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that is crazy. But it also sounds so cool. It sounds so fun to be able to trust the Lord so much to go to a place that it doesn't matter what my skills are, that, that God has to work through me to have an impact. And so that next year I went and God continued to change my life. As we kick off this week, this, this Go Missions Week here in College Station, you know, you probably expect, it's like, okay, how many different talks can we hear on the Great Commission? I mean, it's just, you know, a little passage at the end of Matthew, you know. How many different ways can it be packaged? But we have to realize that, that God's plan for the nations starts in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation, and it goes all the way through the Scriptures because it's, it is the heartbeat of God. It is a story of him bringing his children into redemption. And for some reason, he wants to use me and he wants to use you to accomplish it. So today I want to pluck out from the pages of your Bible and just talk about one little story. So if you'd open up, we're going to talk about the Great Commission from the book of Nehemiah this morning. Okay, probably not a passage that you're normally used to hearing from about the Great Commission. So open up to chapter 1. And I kind of like to give titles to my talks because it helps me kind of crystallize uh, some of my thoughts. And so uh, for myself, as I title, entitled this uh, talk, um, I call it Nehemiah, a man with everything to lose. And so already we're, we're on shaky ground. You know, because I would hope that each of you has some kind of plan for your life. Your parents hope you have some kind of plan for your life, right? May not be the same plan that they have. And after this week, it may be radically different than the plan that your parents have for you. But we have to live life like we have everything to lose. Nehemiah is a guy who's about to find out what is happening in God's plan in a distant land. And he's about to feel more connected with it than he ever has in his life. Does that sound familiar? Because that's the purpose of this week. For you to get information about what's happening among the nations and for you to feel connected to it like never before. Read with me as we kind of start out in Nehemiah chapter 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the capital that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and asked, I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. I love uh, how this, this whole book starts up. You know, we, we make the assumption that, that Nehemiah is writing this. He, he kind of starts out, he says, you know, now, now as it happened. You know, and I love it because Nehemiah wasn't necessarily looking for trouble. Okay, he, he was just showing up, going to work one day. He says, and as it happened, these guys came 
And they begin to tell a story. And again, as you think about your life, you may not have been looking for Missions Week at Texas A&M to happen. But God is bringing information to your door. And just like Nehemiah, as we look at how he responds, your response to the information that you hear this week is very important in how you interact with your Savior. Verse uh, 2 says that Hanani and some men from Judah, they came. Uh, they came up from Judah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little background because it's kind of a, you know, it's like Chislev. You know, what is that? What month is that? You know, it's uh, all kinds of little confusing uh, parts of the story that, you know, sometimes uh, give us a lot of information and, and, and sometimes they don't. It just helps us date uh, the book. But these guys come up from Judah and what's happening is that, uh, the, you know, there was this big exile and all the people from, uh, from Jerusalem were taken up into the land of Babylon. And as uh, kind of kingdoms changed, Babylon was taken over by the, the Medes and the Persians. And uh, after the 70 years that, uh, that the Jews were, were hanging out up in a distant land, some people began to go back and try to resettle where they had come from. And these guys were visiting. They were visiting from this distant land, coming back to tell Nehemiah how things were going. He says, and when I heard them concerning this, and I love that word concerning, because he didn't say when I heard them about this. He's talking about concerning. These people brought concerns. They brought concerns. And Nehemiah's life is about to be transformed because first off, he's not just hearing information, but he's going to engage with it. And engaging with information about what God is doing among the nations is one of the most dangerous things that you can do as a college student because it begins to grab your heart and you end up saying, what is my responsibility? We mostly just pass through this idea of this information. You know, it's kind of like when you're, you're clicking through TV channels and what do you do? You stumble upon one of those commercials about starving kids. And if you're like me, oftentimes what I do is to see how quickly I can change the channel. Because I know, I know if I watch it, I know if I get the information, the information is going to move to concern and concern is going to somehow end up in responsibility. So if I can just block it out just for a moment, then I can go and move on with different, probably less important aspects of my life. And my encourage to you this week is don't click the remote. When you go and you hear these things, don't click the remote. Let God speak to you on behalf of the nations and to, to ponder what he might have you do. Here's where we need to understand a little bit more about the context of this book to understand what's happening. Like I said, it was just a report, and the report was one of bad news, right? He comes through and he says, look, Nehemiah, you know, he said, how are things going? I said, not that great. He said, our, our city lies in ruins. The gates are burned down. Okay, for you and I, we're thinking, okay, what, is, what does that mean, you know? But think about the timing of, of what's happening. For a Jewish person to hear the fact that the city of Jerusalem was lying in, ru in ruins would automatically, he would understand from the weight of the history of his own religion, and the key word would be shame. It would be shame. Why? Because God said that when, you know, back in Deuteronomy, he said, when you, when you obey, there will be blessing. And when you disobey, your city will be in ruins. And so when he hears this story about 
how these guys had gone down, but yet the, the news report comes back and that the city, the, the very heartbeat of the nation of God is lying in ruins. The only proper response for Nehemiah is shame. It would have brought up thoughts about the sins of our fathers. It would have brought out the remembrance of the disobedient people. See, it was 444 BC. Okay, now Old Testament history, if you struggle with math, it's hard. You got to learn how to count backwards, right, in BC to AD. And so it's 444 right now when Nehemiah comes around. And uh, in 586, which was earlier, right? <laughs> 586 was earlier, the city of Jerusalem was taken away into captivity uh, by Babylon. 538, there's this guy, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, however you want to pronounce his name. I figure it's our choice. He's, he's gone. <laughs> Zerubbabel decided, that, you know, with the Lord this, I'm going to take some of these people back. And so he, he, he left uh, the kingdom of the Persians and he went back down. And he was the first guy to go back and say, we're going to go and, and kind of kickstart the nation of God all over again. Okay? And so he went and he took a bunch of people back. And then a number of years later in 458, Ezra, the book before, Ezra also took back a number of, of people. And Ezra went and he had a great time because uh, his job there was to kind of reinstill the living spirit, you know, in, into the people to want to worship God, to undo the travesty of disobedience among the people. And to say, it's time to follow God again. And there's this kind of this mini revival that breaks out as they read the, uh, reread the law to the people and the people stand before God and they recommit. Say, no, this is the way. We want to be serious this time about following God. But the problem is that by the time Nehemiah comes around, it's another 140 something years later. And the city still lies in ruins. I love Nehemiah's response as he hears about kind of the, the plight of his people. So look what happened to him. Did he say, hey, man, whew, what a bummer for you guys. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm up here in this distant land. And actually, you know, it's pretty cool because there's a lot of food up here and it's protected. And, you know, king of Persia, you know, kind of fighting with the Greeks and we're doing okay. And you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you look around, it's like, golly, that must be really tough for y'all. Okay. That's not Nehemiah's response. He felt a sense of shame and he felt a sense of responsibility. And he opened his heart to ask what the Lord would have him do. Keep reading with me as you look in, uh, in 4, chapter 1, verse 4. He says, and as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned, and we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there 
and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah's response was, Nehemiah's response was uh, incredible. He began to weep, okay? And, and he went further into a period of mourning. He fasted, he prayed, he confessed the sins of his people, but he didn't forget to confess the sins for himself, his own, and of his own family. He owned the responsibility. He said, God, give your servant favor and grant mercy in the sight of this man, this man being Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. So here's something interesting about Nehemiah. Like I said, I think that Nehemiah that day just kind of woke up and went to work. What do we know about Nehemiah? We know that he was the son of Hakaliah. And what do we know about Hakaliah? Anyone? Nothing. <laughs> we don't know anything about him. Okay? We just know that he was part of the people of God. But once the problem of Israel started to come out as these guys spoke, we find out something else about Nehemiah. We found out that God had arranged his whole life for this problem just to come to him. Because what's the one verse, what's the one part of that last verse that I forgot, that I didn't forget, I didn't say? Who was Nehemiah? He was cupbearer to the king. And so I think that what's interesting is that Nehemiah shows up and he goes to work just like he had gone to work every day. A little taste of this, a little sip of this, okay? A little taste of this. A little. Probably it was in a line of a couple of other Jewish guys that had done the same thing. This was only about 30-something years after the book of Esther closed. You know, and the book of Esther closes with Mordecai replacing Haman as cupbearer to the king, okay? So very unlikely in a foreign country that you would choose, you know, the Persians continued to choose Jewish people to be the last line of defense for the king as a cupbearer. And this is where Nehemiah sits. And we find out that God had arranged his life, that he is the only person that could actually do something about the problems that these guys were talking about. Who else could do it? At this time, Israel's laying in ruins, but it's under the domination of the kingdom of Persia. Nehemiah had an aha moment. He started out just going to work that day, but he left work that day realizing that the responsibility of the future of his beloved nation was in his hands. But it could cost him everything. It could cost him not only personally in the life of luxury, you know, it's not like he's eating, you know, just Chick-fil-A and Sonic, you know, as he goes to, he's eating at the table of the king. He's living in the palace of the king. So he realizes that, man, if I'm going to do something about this, it's probably going to cost me part of my lifestyle. But even beyond that, it wasn't something that you just normally did to go up to the king and said, hey, bro, could I have a few minutes can we just talk about these people that kind of got conquered a long time ago by the people that you conquered last, you know, and, and can we talk about maybe what's going on? Because even to look sad 
before the king was punishable by death. To go up and try to gain audience with him probably never crossed his mind. And here he sits holding the responsibility of the nation. Who were you when you got up this morning? In terms of God's plan among the nations, who are you? You're probably just a happy Aggie fan based on yesterday's game. You know, I just, you got up as an accounting major. You got up as a construction science major. You got up as a person going to blend who's still trying to make it in. You know, and our day just seemed really normal. But by the end of even this day, it gets put somehow in your lap that even you could be part of the responsibility for the nations to hear the gospel. It's a lot to take in. But you begin to ask yourself, it's like, well, why did God let you grow up in this country? Why does God let you speak the language that you speak? Why does God give you the education that you've gotten or are getting? Why does God let you sit under tremendous teaching for most of your life? And what kind of stewardship would play out among the nations if God called us to be responsible? Nehemiah waited about four months as he tried to figure some of these things out. But he wasn't just sitting there. During this time, he was planning and he was calculating and he was strategizing, hoping that one day he might get that miraculous opportunity to bring up the plight of his nation to the king of Persia. So we jump back in in chapter 2, and it says, In the month of Nisan, not the car, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, uh, when wine was before him, that's probably a good idea, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king, uh, and I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. That's always a good start. All right. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed, a little salvo prayer right there, I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me favor. favor. The king granted me what I asked for, uh, for the good hand of my God was upon me. It's an amazing thing. We find out that not only is the king favorable, but Nehemiah has the faith to ask him for all the building materials. It lies in waste. And this makes me sad. Sadness of the heart, as the king of Persia said. 
And I'm asking that you would not only give me permission, but that you would give me the ability to go and rebuild the city of my God. In a very short time, just these four months, we realize, starting in verse 8 and kind of ending up in verse 17, that Nehemiah begins to own the work of God in his heart. And then he begins to own the work of God in his head, thinking through all the different things that need to take place. And by the end of the book, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, you find out that he owns the work with his own hands. That a transformation is taking place that all started by his willingness to listen to what was happening among the nations. This week for you is going to be filled with information. And if you let it, it's just going to stay information. But if you pause, and if you open your heart, and if you consider what it is that the Lord might want you to do, that information can turn to concern, and concern into responsibility. And that responsibility into involvement in one of many, many ways. And God will call you into his purposes of making himself known among the nations. Are you going to allow yourself this week to be moved by the stories? Or will you put up a guard just to say, I can't handle it right now. I'm struggling with all that I already have. Or will you allow the circumstances of the world to penetrate into your life and to be concerned for the people of God? Are you willing, like Nehemiah, to weep and to mourn and to pray and to fast and to confess on behalf of all of those that aren't really involved and to step out in faith to become part of God's remnant, God's faithful provision? The theme of this year's GO Conference is uh, Commission via Creativity. And it's really interesting because there's never, ever been more opportunities to be involved in the Great Commission. There's never been more. You can do it through the internet. You can do it through going out and having conversations with people. You can go and do it through helping people meet their needs. You can go and build buildings and dig wells. You can go and serve at an orphanage. There's no way, you know, in my day, we would look at this idea of doing ministry opportunities and mission trips and say, well, I don't know, that's just... That's not really how God made me. I, I can't see myself doing that. But that's no longer a very good excuse. Because there's so many opportunities that there is an opportunity just waiting for you to be involved in the very way that God has created you. The issue is not of mode. The issue is not of money. The issue is one of the heart. Whether or not we're really willing just to say yes. The responsibility and the privilege of the Great Commission falls on your generation. Now, you may not really like how that sounds, but the fact is, is it's true. So throughout all of the ages, the history of the nation of Israel, the history of the church, and that responsibility is each generation is somewhat involved, yet each generation fails to complete the job. It falls on the next generation. The Great Commission 
and involvement in that is sitting at your doorstep. And God is asking you to be involved. What choice are you going to make? As Roger stood up this morning and talked a lot about the different kinds of opportunities, summer projects, stints, if you don't know where to go, man, is this the week for you. <laughs> you, will be, you will be besieged by opportunities and information. If you don't know what to do by the end of the week, talk to one of the interns of the staff here at the church. Go with Grace Bible Church as they go either uh, to their Tradewinds partnership, to Greece as a partnership, or to East Asia as a partnership. It will change your life in a radical way. It will help you to grow closer to God. It will help you to understand his heart for the nations. It will help you learn how to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. I hope that you guys will go out on Tuesday night. I hope that you will visit many of the opportunities at the tables to meet a real live missionary somewhere, okay? And to talk to them and to find out they're just normal people that are following a very unnormal God. Let me pray. We'll close out our time. Father God, it's amazing just as we make simple decisions to walk into a place thinking, I don't know, maybe this will make me feel better. Or I just need a time to connect with you. And then all of a sudden we realize that what we're involved with in our relationship with you is something that's very serious. It's fun, it's amazing but it's also pretty heavy to realize that you have called us for some reason to not only reach the people of our nation, but to be involved in reaching the people of all the nations. And I think it's amazing that just at this school, Father, just at this university, if all the people that are here would walk seriously with you, Lord, the ramifications around the world would be incredible. That just this one school and the believers that you have raised up from this place could shake the nations and see so many people come to faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us an open heart. I pray that you would give us a willing attitude. Father, I pray that the information that we hear this week would sink down deep into our soul and that we couldn't help but find a way to be a part of the Great Commission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.